What is up, everybody? Welcome to Season 8 of the DFS MVP, Episode 222. We finally made it to the regular season. As always, I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. And if you've missed the preseason episodes, my brand new co-host, Mr. John Daigle, you probably know him if you have even ever looked at one fantasy thing in your life. Daigle, what's up, buddy? You happy for week one? I'm excited that week one's finally here. I think it's a interesting slate already. Tons to talk about. Lots of leverage, lots of pivots. Uh, it's only Friday. This is a free show. I am undecided so far about a majority of my builds, but I think I have my player pool honed down quite a bit already, so we're good to go. Yeah, the uh, the actual builds are, oh, I mean, no, no matter like, how late we try to do content. I mean, up until like Sunday mornings is, is when we're really figuring out the builds, which is why we will have the Sunday morning GPP show on the 44 Discord. So make sure you sign up for that. Um, but I mean, as you guys long know, if, if you've listened to DFS MVP before, or if you are a new listener, um, the thing that really separates us, uh, I think, is that we are really honed in on not just giving you guys the players to play, but focusing on how to play. Uh, in the past, the way we have done that is through a theory segment. We've kind of exhausted those segments. There's only so many macro topics you can talk about uh, every every single week. But if you want to get caught up on those, we have a huge library. Whether you go to our strategy hub or our game theory segment on the YouTube channel, where you can look at those macro concepts, and we'll touch on them throughout the season. Um, but this year, we're going to do a little. So we're do something a little bit different. Uh, something Daigle has done before called the decision points. So you want to explain a little bit what that's going to be, Daigle? Every week, there is one conundrum or one discussion point that occurs when everyone is building lineups. Everyone runs into the same problem, and they are trying to configure lineups from that point forward, that log jam and clearing that dam. And I think those discussions are actually uh, more interesting than picks overall because like that's what leads us to the picks and deciphering that one problem so i think that's always a good place to start and tell people like what we're running into the issues they'll probably run into and try to work it backwards from there yeah so uh rather than our game theory segment we'll be calling it the decision point and we'll actually be leading off the episodes with those so that it's fresh in your guys's head and you could be thinking about it as we go through our picks and we could go back and reference that while we're going through our plays every week. Uh, so Daigle every week will throw out his decision point, and then I'll just piggyback on, on some general topic that I've noticed throughout the week. So it is still essentially a theory segment, but it's a weekly theory segment. So let's jump right into it. Daigle, what are you looking at this week um, as your big decision point? It's a two-parter because no matter where people play at, let's start with DraftKings here. The issue everyone is going to run into that I'm running into is – the running backs are top-heavy, and so it's not necessarily like I'm trying to fade all of them. Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, uh, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, all are amazing plays. So like, if you wrote up, like for instance, I wrote top plays on the 4-4 site about my favorite tournament running backs – because like anyone can tell you, I don't need to write about John Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. We'll talk about them in a bit. But, like, Of course, they're amazing plays, so whatever. Um, but what I'm running into is that it's not only that the running backs are amazing plays, but then that also leads everyone having the same build in tournaments on DraftKings. Everyone's paying up at running back and thus paying down at wide receiver since everyone thinks 
Romeo Dobbs, Wondell Robinson, all these other 3K bums are very good plays. And maybe they are, but everyone's building the same exact way. And so that leads me to maybe trying to figure out how to play two mid-tier running backs and spend up at wide receiver since that's logically going to be contrarian naturally and not contrarian in a 1% way. It will be in a 5 to 7% way, but contrarian in that I get Devontae Adams, I get Mike Williams at like 7 to 9%. I get players who could go off at single digits. So that that's why it's interesting to me on DraftKings. Your thoughts on that? No, I mean, I, I've talked about this every single year, and it is it is actually one of the big macro concepts that I've talked about every year. When people think about getting contrarian, they think about, um, you know, low percentage play is just kind of like the elementary play, like, oh, no one's playing this guy, but it has no leverage to it, right? Leverage has become kind of, if you're even, uh, you know, moderately involved in DFS, you understand leverage to, to at least the easiest, easiest extent where like if Devonte Adams is going to be 40%, then I could play Darren Waller. Um, this is like the flipping the build idea is something that I think is still crazy uh, underrated. I, I just don't think people do it as much or, or as well as they should. So like you said, like maybe we'll have like, like we have, I don't know. Um, Say we have Devontae at 13% and Jamar at 13% as well. Like neither of the, those guys are contrary are super contrarian. They're both going to be double digit ownership, but the combinations of those guys together is going to be very low, right? Because most people, if they're playing Devontae or Jamar, they're going to be pairing them with one of the expensive running backs. Uh so yeah, I, I think it is super important um for for being unique in in tournaments for sure. So that's where I'm at on DraftKings, trying to figure out where to go from there. And then FanDuel's interesting because it's usually a pick em, but mm-hmm. salary is quite tight over there in week one right. because quarterbacks in general are trying to, to pay up there, and they're yeah. expensive, and then we get jammed down on running backs. We're like, even Derrick Henry is 9,600, and there's really not an argument against it. Like, he probably should be 9,600. So... I'm curious about what about your thoughts on FanDuel this week overall because I keep coming back to mid-tier wide receivers and then punting at tight end. Everyone is going to play Kyle Pitts on FanDuel since 6K. Uh, they're going to see that, even though I, I will easily fade Kyle Pitts, you know, 12 targets and 70 receiving yards against the Saints in two matchups last year, and we assume he's going to be used the same because Arthur Smith is still a bad coach. So, like, I don't mind fading Kyle Pitts at all, but – if everyone's going to do that and everyone's going to bring along Gerald Everett with Justin Herbert and everyone's going to bring along Mo Alley-Cox as leverage off of Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, then I don't know where else to go outside of Darren Waller. Everyone's going to pay up for Travis Kelsey perhaps too if they spend up. So FanDuel's also very interesting and that's also, it's just hard to find running backs that could match the top guys' touchdown equity since we're not really chasing receiving there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I... I I know it sounds good. Like I have a hard time paying down for tight ends on, on FanDuel. I mean, the, the top guys are, can, they've just crushed on FanDuel the last couple of years. I mean, if we think, I, I still think people are going to prioritize those, these top tight ends, Kelsey, um, uh, uh, Andrews, and then Pitts is such a good value. I, I think people are going to pay up. I actually don't on FanDuel. I don't have that big of a problem like offsetting some of this um 
kind of tight salary that we're not used to uh, on FanDuel with maybe just some cheaper quarterback stacks because we have spots where we can pay down and it kind of makes sense. Like uh, Pittman's not going to be as, as popular on um, on FanDuel, for example, but pairing Matt Ryan with with like those pass catchers um, and kind of get it, that kind of gives you leverage off JT or even like a Derek Carr. Um, if you want to get, you know, in that game, you can save some salary with Carr. He's not super cheap at 74, but maybe just not going all the way up to the top at quarterback, I think can make most sense because on FanDuel, those stud running backs can just absolutely smash you. Where I mean, besides CMC on DraftKings, like you could make up for it with volume a little bit on on FanDuel. Like if if the running backs are going, you're just not catching the field without those guys. I am with you. Um, I haven't got to Derek Carr on FanDuel just yet, but it's something I'm certainly open to because I'm very interested in him on DraftKings. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, probably because you get that 300 yard bonus over there. The one thing that, that I'm just thinking about, um, going into the week, this is kind of my, this isn't necessarily my decision point, but I just think it's super important to note, um, early in the season that, uh, we, we do see like one or two weeks where Vegas needs a little bit of a time to, to adjust. I think it's the best week to not even just be contrarian, but just like, just get away from group think and have your own takes and, and like, Oh yeah. Obviously, obviously I want you to read four for four and follow what we're doing. But I mean, even in week one of the NFL season, we have no idea what the hell is going on. People are just going to converge on these teams and these players. And there's so much that can change. It's a really small sample, but over the past five seasons, teams that are favored by five or more have lost a 27% clip in week one for the rest of the year. Uh, that rate is 20%. Um, small, again, small sample, but I, I, I don't think it's anything to sneeze at, especially when we start the year, seven games where the spread is at least five points, five of those teams are on the road. Um, so those are good. Those, those are spots where, you know, road teams in week one, a lot of unknowns. I, I think it's really good to not just, not necessarily fade betting lines, but to look for spots where the public is overconfident, maybe fade ownership even more than you might in a regular week. And also it's, it's a week where I'm willing to go down to those lower team total tiers where I just might never go to like a, a 24 or a 23 and a half point team total to stack. I think I might be more willing to do that in week one. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying. Yes. In that case. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen, there are a couple team totals that have increased like one and a half, two points over the week. Um, the dolphins are one, we'll get to their players in a second. And again, it's not really that I'm looking at the number 24 and a half is which, which is where their team total stands in particular. I'm looking at, it could go over that just like, sure, I think, exactly. you know, one of my favorite stats, Chris Raybon actually had on this pod, a few years ago, and I we haven't cleared up the research in the past couple of years, so it may have changed, but he was on that over half of games, or he said that games on average, they go under over on average 10 points of the total. So they go under 10 points on average or they go yeah. over 10 yeah. points on average. And so like, that's why I don't really look at a 53 and a half point t total overall. That's great and all, but if it goes under, who cares? Um, the 48s, the 49s are what's sneaky knowing that we're actually looking at 58, 59 exactly. point totals on average. Exactly. That's, that's kind of my point, especially, and this is another thing. If you look at like, we have to be very careful when we're looking at how we're using team totals and implied point totals because it's relative, right? So if you have, you know, one team with a 33 point 
team total and everybody else is, you know, 26 and under that's super notable this week. No team is over 30 and you have all these teams bunched up between 26 and a half and 24.25. Right. So like, instead of just saying, Oh, you know, the, I don't know. The Colts have the third highest implied point total. A team, like you said, the dolphins, like sure. They're technically what eighth or seventh highest implied point total, but is the difference really that much from the Colts? Like probably not. That's when it comes down to when we start discussing positions. Uh, it's not like I don't like Derek Carr, Tua, Ryan Tannehill. It's just they genuinely, they can't have a salary-based performance. Like they can't have a $5,700 performance. They literally have to perform like a $7,500 player. And so you're stuck asking yourself, like I genuinely don't know if Tua can go over 300 yards. I have no idea. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the question I'm getting at, even though I like him, it's like, dude, I don't know if he can match Justin Herbert at all on his best days. So that's kind of where I'm, where I'm, where I'm arguing now with myself about, do I really want to spin down? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. And I mean, th these are all things that, I mean, this, especially for tournaments, these are the concepts that between Friday and Sunday, we're really going to drill down because we're going to have, I don't know, you know, 48 hours of, of tweaking and, and building from this podcast and, and why we encourage everybody to get into that discord because Sunday morning is when we're going to be very definitive um, on how we are attacking this. So I hope you guys get in there. Uh, you know, this is, um, you know, this is good. This is a free sample. We're trying to get you guys as much as we can, um, you know, right now on Friday, that's why we go position by position, at least give you guys enough to, uh, you know, build out um, a faux lineup and, and have an idea of what we're thinking about. So let's get into that Daigle and talk about uh, a quarterback that you just mentioned, Justin Herbert. Yeah, so Justin Herbert, I think, is going to be the counter to Jalen Hurts. Uh, did you did you have Jalen Hurts? Yeah, okay, we'll talk yeah. about Jalen Hurts in a second. Um, but we know Jalen Hurts will be the highest roster quarterback, and as you will explain in a minute, it's an amazing play. It really is. But I keep asking myself, on a week where exposure is going to be pretty flat since – there are so many values and so many good expensive running backs and so many great mid-tier wide receivers that I don't expect ownership to get out of hand outside of Michael Pittman. And we'll get to that discussion too. But if I'm trying to counteract that quarterback, I think Justin Herbert's an amazing counter because one, you got to pay up for him. And that already leads to the same lineup builds that you're then reconfiguring in your head saying, okay, well, everyone's then going to pay down a wide receiver to afford Justin Herbert. So how do I get different from that if I roster Justin Herbert? I think Gerald Everett's one way to do that, honestly. But more importantly, it's that it's an amazing game script. Uh, the Chargers scored 28 and 32 points against the Raiders last year, and more importantly, recorded 75 and 93 plays in those two contests. The Ravens, for reference, led the league with 69 plays per game. So that tells you the up-tempo usage the Chargers used whenever they played the Raiders in two games in particular. Also, Already in ranking last year, third and fourth downs, just going for it on fourth down, we know they're going to be an aggressive offense. They're not losing that approach. But I do wonder if uh, they get even more aggressive. Like if Justin Herbert's no longer a shallow passer, like he was last year being number 23 in air yards per attempt, 25th overall in depth to target, under eight yards per target, or eight-yard depth to target, uh, they could be more aggressive this year since they know last year that's what failed them. So overall, I think we should have even higher expectations for this Chargers offense as early as week one. I completely agree. Um, it's crazy that 
the Chargers have the second highest implied point total on the slate. And if you look at cumulative passing game ownership um, on four for four, that's all of the the combined ownership of the quarterback plus all of his pass catchers. They're barely top 10 on DraftKings. Yes. They're a little bit higher on Fandle, but that's crazy for a team with the second highest implied point total. And on four for four, we project ownership in ranges of outcomes rather than absolutes. And I think that's important, especially when ownership is flat like it is at the quarterback position, because we have Justin Herbert in that third tier of ownership. But that doesn't mean he's going to be like the the fourth uh, most popular quarterback. He could be anywhere from like the fourth to like the seventh most popular quarterback what I am pretty confident in is besides Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, who are the like de facto cash game options at the same window. I'm pretty confident that Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray will both be more popular than Herbert. They're in the late window. So it actually gives us a fantastic late swap opportunity. Something we should be thinking about every week. If we have contrarian, it, go ahead. I was just say the the two the two things I will be concerned about. It's only Friday. The two things I'm going to be looking for by Sunday is does the Chargers offense get steamed? Because I think there's a real possibility for that. Uh, yeah, and yeah, like okay, like you sure. like you like right now they are projecting at single digits. I don't know how long that's going to sustain. So it's just something I'm trying to keep an eye on. And then also, I wonder what the late swap window opens up. And we know not enough of our opponents use it, so it's not nothing we should worry about too much. But Everyone, like you said, start is going to start on Chiefs Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Like if things go awry, if the chalk bust in the first slate of games, the afternoon then leads to everyone late swapping on the Chargers Raiders. I think, I think maybe, maybe they go Packers Vikings instead. But Not enough people that's also swap. a worry for me. Not enough people late swap. So like that's they're, fine. They're, you know, there's just so they're they're the Chiefs charge. I'm sorry, the 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 Cardinals um, Chiefs, Chiefs are going yep. to be. They're going to be so chalky that if you play your contrarian plays early, you know, you, you're going to give yourself enough flexibility where even if the chargers do end up getting, you know, higher ownership than we expect, you could swap to Raiders. Um, But the point is like those two games together gives us a lot of, of really good game theory. And it's why the most ownership important ownership projections are tomorrow. Every single Saturday, John Paulson does a full ranking sweep after injuries. I then update all the ownership with that. So then it gives us Saturday night to get some really, really important ownership. Obviously, Sunday morning, late news, we're like scrambling. So I'll be adjusting them. But the ownership percentages Saturday night are are the most important ownerships to be looking at. And I'm unclear right now if it's the Chargers or Raiders I like more, but I do like that game. Understanding Las Vegas side is much more volatile, but it's a tournament. I don't mind taking that on. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, the quarterback that, that you mentioned, I was going to talk about Jalen Hurts. Um, a cash game and a GPP option. He is like the the cash game option. As a GPP option, I mean, you eating the chalk at quarterback isn't going to be the same as like eating the chalk at, at running back or, or wide receiver because you know you're, you're we're talking about seventeen percent instead of thirty five or forty percent sometimes. Um, I you know still usually don't want the most popular guy, uh, but I, I think that. There is enough upside with this offense here um, tied for the third highest uh, uh, team total on the slate. The addition of AJ Brown makes me think that this team is going to be much more pass heavy than they were last year. And even if we look at be- before Jalen Hurts got injured and before he started throwing the ball bad, they were fifth in passing rate in neutral game script um, last season through the first seven weeks. Now they add AJ Brown to Devonte Smith and Dallas uh, Goddard and, 
I mean, they're playing against a Lions defense that was bottom three and pass EPA per play allowed last season and 28th in explosive play rate. Uh, it's obviously new season and we don't want to put a ton of weight into last season defensive matchup numbers. But I think on those extremes, a lot of times that does carry over. On DraftKings specifically, I think there's only three players week in and week out that have legit double bonus upside uh, on DraftKings. And I think that is Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and CMC. I think they're the only three players that have legit double bonus upside every single week. And Jalen Hurts has that this week. You can't really poke holes in Jalen Hurts. Uh, the only thing I will say is that if I'm playing him in tournaments, I am exclusively double stacking him. I'm not playing just AJ Brown. I'm not oh, playing just Dallas Goddard. I am absolutely only double stacking him. I think that's honestly like the only real way to get unique with him. Yeah, that's actually because everybody will think he's going to run. So I don't want to double him. Like I just said, he, he has double bonus upside and it is actually a really good way to offset his high ownership because well actually Dallas Goddard might get double digit but I, I think all three of his pass catchers might come in single digit or at least at the very least like barely 10% 11% that's the way I'm here yes yeah I like that uh Jalen Hurts top two value on four for four for both FanDuel and DraftKings uh Daigle talk to me about a, a running back that stands out to you I think Joe Mixon's kind of in the perfect salary spot to sneak in as a player who absolutely has 100 yards and multiple touchdowns in his range of outcomes. Steelers front seven allowed 4.9 yards per carry to opposing running backs last year, and the game script is perfect. Opening game at home for Cincinnati, what we expect to be an even worse Steelers offense behind one of the league's worst offensive lines. So we're not allowing the Steelers to dictate this game script. We're allowing the Bengals offense behind what everyone agrees is an improved offensive line on paper. Uh, we know Zach Taylor's mistakes in coaching. I don't trust at all that he leans on the passing game, especially in this particular matchup, when he can get away with hammering the ball on the ground. And Joe Mixon is 7,100 on DraftKings in particular, but even on FanDuel, he sits underneath all the top-tier guys everyone's trying to shove in. And so I love, I love Joe Mixon, whether he's your RB1 if you're paying down or RB2 on both sites. I think he's an amazing play this week. Uh, the Bengals are super weird. I, I almost never see this because I'm I'm very familiar with how the four four ownership shapes up, and they're top three in cumulative ownership on both sites. But usually that's because they we they have like one player that's thirty percent. They have four players that are going to be in like the fifteen percentage range. So how how do you think? Do you think people are more more likely to just kind of like sprinkle all these guys all their Bengals across their rosters do you think they're more likely to just like heavy stack the game and like maybe joe mixon ends up way less owned than we expect or how do you think that's gonna go i don't know right now um yeah because i don't have really any interest in jamar chase or t higgins so i haven't even really been paying that's attention I, yeah for them uh so I, so i really i really don't know i just think the game script works out perfectly for mixon alone Interesting. Yeah, I, I, they're, they're, when I saw that they were projecting that high as a team, it was really confusing because like none of them are going to be super chalky, but none of them are going to be contrarian either. They're kind of in no man's land. So it, yeah, like the more I like just think about it out loud, it, it almost makes sense to play Mixon because then he just kind of like if he goes off, he cancels out all three of the other players, right? And then that's really good for you because then you you take away those all of those fifteen percent owned guys. 
And I would usually say this is a spot where if I had any faith in them at all, if no one else is on, you know, the Burrow double stack with his two concerted target tree options and T Higgins and Jamar Chase, this would be the week to play them. But I genuinely don't have any faith in Steelers offense punching back. So it's just <laughs> yeah, not something I'm interested in. That's super fair. Um, the running back that stands out to me, and I'm not going to do this to you guys every week. I'm not going to give you the most obvious play. Uh, I'm going to give you some true values. But when we start the season with Christian McCaffrey at under 10K on both sides and probably under 30% on, on both sides in ownership, like he's just a play for me. Anytime CMC is under 10K or like under 40%, I, I, I think he's just a smash. And it's like, are we going to eat the chalk on CMC? Like, 25% CMC is so much different than 40% CMC. So am I going to eat the chalk? Like in my small field, high stakes, like probably, and then I'm just going to figure out how to be different elsewhere. Um, like I can just like mega stack uh, and, and make my team unique with a, an onslaught um, of a random game. And in cash games, like he, if you're not locking in CMC in your cash games, especially on DraftKings, you're just you shouldn't be playing. You shouldn't be playing uh, cash games on DraftKings. Twenty four plus PPR points in the four games where he played at least fifty percent of the snaps last year, and one of those he didn't even get to sixty percent. Cleveland was bottom five in rush EPA per play allowed last year, uh, and like I said. One of three players, along with Jan Hurts, I think has legit double bonus upside on DraftKings. He he's a little bit closer to the field on Fandle, but the four for four value score, if you're not familiar with it, it takes a, a non-linear approach to value instead of point per dollar, kind of puts everybody on the even playing field. And in the four for four value score, CMC's is 28% higher than the entire field. So like he's just a smash over there. Nothing else to say. It's Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I guess what we're really asking ourselves is how Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry match up next to him because all are in amazing matchups. That's the issue. If one of the, if we could give a reason to fade any of them, it'd be great. Um, yeah. But even Jonathan Taylor, like, led the league in ten plus yard runs. Texans allowed a league high ten plus yard runs. Like, there's nothing to say that you can't poke holes at any of the top running backs. So yeah. yeah, the the case for those like in those three guys, the case for them is obviously ownership. Derrick Henry is going to be the least owned of those three guys, and then it's just like, can one go nuclear and the other two just meet value? Right. That's really that's really just the discussion on those guys. If you're and if you're fading Christian McCaffrey, what you're really hoping for. Uh, because again, his salary is is like you said on DraftKings, eighty five hundred. He's a ten k player. You're really hoping he scores twenty eight points. You're hoping he doesn't reach that forty point threshold. Yeah, I really, really like fading teams where two guys are super chalky, and Pittman and uh, JT are going to be super chalky. So I'm either just like leveraging the hell out of them, or or fading that 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 team altogether. That's a good point. Um, any, like, you know, we don't have to go deep on this, but like, since we gave two ex kind of expensive guys, is there like one or two cheap guys that catch your eye? Cause we said at the top, like, it's kind of tough. I do like, God, that's the whole issue in building this week is that even if I like Chase Edmonds, for example, or Elijah Mitchell, like, dude, they got to score touchdowns. Like if they don't score touchdowns, you're literally screwed from the very first sl slate of and games. Probably two touchdowns, right? It's not one touchdown. Yeah. Doing it with those guys. 
And, and, Lee, and Elijah Mitchell's even tougher because game script's amazing. 49ers offensive line should bully Chicago's trenches. Looks like it's going to rain overnight Sunday, so it should be a run-heavy game. Um, not even a game where, especially without George Kittle, they really need to trust Trey Lance to throw it all. But Elijah Mitchell, as we know, unlike Chase Edmonds, doesn't even have the pass-catching role. So, like, if Elijah Mitchell just goes over 100 yards, doesn't score touchdowns, it's not enough, even at 5,400. At least Chase Edmonds, we know, is a was a third-down back and for his career with the Cardinals, uh, roughly five targets per game in the last two years with the Cardinals. And Sony Michelle's release does allow for an ambiguous goal line role. We don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's Chase Edmonds. He's only scored nine rushing touchdowns in four careers years, but maybe it's Chase Edmonds is the goal line player. So I, I think he's he's an interesting option. But again, like paying down, paying down for running back this week could turn out to just absolutely haunt you. Yeah, I am going to um, I'm going to be a fish this year and chase King of the Beach since it's in my hometown this year. And I, I, I get to sleep like sleep in my own bed and, and play King of the Beach live qualifier. Sounds like a big advantage. Sounds like um, your dream. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I'm going to eat some some Eli Mitchell and like counterintuitively, like since he's not going to have that pass game role, you would think you don't want him on draft Kings. I'm going to be chased like a hundred yard bonus and two touchdowns when I'm chasing with him. And then, I mean, if you're just going dumpster diving at running back, the obvious plays Damian Pierce, just from he's our best touch uh, dollar per touch uh, value on both sites. You, we don't know what his third down role is. Um, we did see him catch a couple of passes in preseason. You probably need game script to go completely awry there. I think he is a awful cash game play, even though he's sub 5K. But um, I, I'm not going to be mad at you if you throw Damian Pierce into the Millie Maker. But if you play Damian Pierce and Michael Pittman in the Millie Maker, like you already probably have the least unique lineup in the Millie Maker. Oh yeah, don't play that at all. Don't if you're if if <laughs> don't you're playing Nick Pierce and Michael Pittman in large field tournaments. Uh, we like to call this a segue in the podcast world. If you are playing a Texan, which one are you playing? I actually like Brandon Cooks. Um, Brandon Cooks makes a ton of sense from game script perspective since the Colts team total continues to be on the rise, the third highest of Sunday's main slate, and. Again, we don't know. We do know the Texans actually released Royce Freeman on Friday, but we still, that doesn't give us any confidence that Damian Pierce is the passing down option. It still could be Rex Burkhead, especially in negative game script. But we do know Brandon Cooks is the number one wide receiver. We know he had a 25% target share in his last five games with Brandon Mills, with Davis Mills last year. And so he go he gets in that mid-tier range, 6,300 on DraftKings, 6,700 on FanDuel. And I don't think, many are gonna going to run him back with as like a skinny stack with the popular options on the Colts. So I do like Brandon Cooks as a response to Damian Pierce. Yeah, I, I wrote up Brandon Cooks as uh, at the beginning of my GPP section. I, I talk about the chalk players that I want in GPPs, and Cooks isn't going to be like mega chalk. He's he'll, but I think he'll be around that fifteen percentish range. Uh, but I mean, his his salary is fantastic. He's like you said, his his uh, target share with David Mills is through the Davis Mills is through the roof. And if you um, if you do think the game script is going to go as expected, which I think out of all of the the spreads, I, I think this is probably the one that I trust the most. Texans have the lowest season win total um, at DK Sportsbook, so so I, I do believe that the Colts will handle business just fine. Um, the position, especially on DraftKings, that does actually benefit in poor game script is the 
wide receivers. The uh, for, for those that are new, the quarterback garbage time game script is not good. Wide receiver garbage time game script is very good. So I like Brandon Cooks um, a lot there. And I'll stay in that game, a guy we've mentioned so many times, but this is a podcast about the best values on the slate. Michael Pittman, 7,200 Fandle, 5,500 DraftKings at the aforementioned Houston Texans. I mean, there's not a more flagrant salary on DraftKings than him at 5,500, right? He's he's the by far the top value on, on DraftKings. You definitely agree with that, right? I agree, yes. I also agree he's going to be the highest rostered receiver, and I don't know yet how I'm playing it because everyone has a good argument. Um, you could... Easily, just eat the chalk and get unique elsewhere. Don't mind doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 pretty comfortable fading the most popular wide receiver um, when he's the most when he's also probably the chalkiest player on the slate. Like I, pass catchers, just you know, there's there's one pass catcher in the league that is going to consistently meet that um, expectation as the most popular player. And he played last night, like everybody else we're, we're hoping that, you know, nine targets turn into the best, um, the best play on the slate in cash games. I mean, we're not here to give away full lineups, but if you're not locking Jalen hurt, CMC and Michael Pittman into your DK cash game lineup, like just, just, just start there. I promise you'll be fine. If you're, you, you're not reading four, four, if you're not doing if, that, if you lose like that, like that's you, you did the right thing. I promise. Um, I mean, I don't think we have to say a, a ton about Pittman with his 5,500 salary, but if you're thinking about him on FanDuel, theoretical upgrade with Matt Ryan. I don't even know if it's theoretical. I think it's just a, a clear upgrade in neutral game script last year. Houston faced the highest passing rate, highest passing rate over expectation, bottom five in EPA per pass play. That was all under Levy Smith as defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach, so we should expect a lot of the same. And then, uh, and then Pittman will also spend time against rookie cornerback Derek Stingley, and then Steven Nelson on the other side allowed the ninth point, uh, ninth most fantasy points per target. So those cornerbacks should be um, right for the pickings this week. Uh, who else do you like at wide receiver? I actually like this play because this was not on my radar at all. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Tyreek Hill is on a lot of people's radar, and I like him a lot, uh, both on DraftKings and FanDuel. It's another unique way to get exposure towards Miami's. Favorable line, three and a half point home favorites over a Patriots offense. We're expecting them to just to just come out on fire. The Dolphins offense, not the Patriots. Uh, and then also just towards a, a ever so steady rising team total, which sits at 24 and a half after initially opening at 22 and a half. And uh, I think everyone is confused about how or why you would get it in a, in a what is perceived to be a slow divisional game, but it's also our first chance to get ahead of this when it's not going to be the the team that led the league in throws from RPOs last year with Tua <laughs> yeah. when he had a seven and a half yard depth of target. As Warren Sharp pointed out, the Dolphins in the preseason, Tua had a 12 yard depth of target. Like this is going to be a fast paced, shallow crossers, get up field, take deep shots after the running game offense. And so Again, I, I don't know Tua's ceiling, which is why like I, I've even tinkered with Tua, Chase Edmonds, Tyreek Hill stacks and not even running it back because I'm not worried about the Patriots' side of the ball. I think the Dolphins are still going to keep their foot on the gas no matter what. Since it's a debuting coach game and a divisional opponent, you're trying to like intimidate. But either way, I think Tyreek can easily get there 
especially because, yes, Jalen Waddle was cleared from the injury report on Friday, but we've seen him banged up with his quad injury for a couple weeks now. So maybe Tyreek Hill sees his largest target share of the year, and he's in that weird salary spot on both sides where he's like not high enough to be around Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams, but not low enough to where like when everyone's trying to stack Mike Williams, Brandon Cooks, um, Amon Ross St. Brown, and run back like those popular games. Like Tyreek Hill's just kind of lost in the middle there, sandwiched. And so I, I think he's a really good play. It, it is a really awkward salary price point. And I, I, again, that's one of those trickle down effects where I, that's probably one of the reasons why I haven't looked at him is because when you play that awkward play, it has an effect on all of your players. And then it, it could be a good thing, right? If the domino effect is you have this full lineup full of $6,000 players on DraftKings, like nobody's going to have that. I don't recommend it. I, I think that little build typically laps, lacks upside. I, I almost always prefer a stars and scrubs approach, but if you're playing 20 lineups and two of them are, are a bunch of six K guys, like that could be super interesting. And again, like nobody just, no one's just going to be on that game at all. Um, so, no. so I like that a lot. And again, I don't, I don't even necessarily need to be on the game. Like I don't think I want any part of the Patriots, uh, but I, I am very interested in the Dolphins offense. I'm just unclear how I'm going to get exposure towards it just yet. Yeah, because I could just yeah. go overweight. I really might buy. I could be updating my top plays article on four four and just go overweight on the Dolphins. I'm, I'm still playing around with it though. Yeah, I I think my Dolphins exposure because I because like I when I when everything first came out like Chase Edmonds popped to me and like because running back is so strong it's really tough. I think it makes a lot of sense to go heavy on Miami and early only slates. Cause like it's going to be really hard to justify a lot of dolphins over the afternoon plays. Like the afternoon's just like so many good plays. So I, I think dolphins on early only slate might be a, a really, really good move. Let's see what happens. Um, I'm going to give a, a guy that he's already probably a little bit popular by the time Sunday morning comes around. This could be the player that gets steamed the most. Uh, Marquise Brown, 6,900 Fandle, 6,200 DraftKings at that game that uh, we were talking about against the Chiefs with a 53 and, uh, and a half point over under. They are underdogs, the Cardinals, by six points, but they're already down. Um, down Nuke, down Rondell Moore. If Zach Ertz is like a game done decision, he's out Sunday morning. Everybody's just going to start jamming Marquise Brown into their lineups. He's a guy that we know that when he is, you know, alongside only Mark Andrews, he's already a proven 25% plus target share player when they have no one else to throw to. I mean, he could have a 30% target share uh, in game one. Casey is another defense that is going to be starting a rookie on one side of the ball at cornerback uh, bottom 10 in EPA per pass play last week as well. Um, I, I don't, if, if Zach Ertz doesn't play, I mean, I guess we have, you know, the punt option at tight end, but I'm not too interested in any other pass catchers. Um, if it is out for the Cardinals this week, or are you I, going like, are you going Andy Isabella dumpster diving? No, 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 no. Well, the easy thing for the Baltimore, even though I am somewhat concerned about their offensive line, uh, like I know Noonan and our move the line show took the Ravens minus seven. I actually like the Jets with the hook. I like the Jets plus seven and a half because I don't, I don't know whether I should, whether to trust Baltimore's offense just yet. Uh, especially since it's looking like it's going to be Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis trying to handle the majority of the carries. But the good thing in playing 
this offense is that there are only two plays, right? It's literally only Mark Andrews or Rashad Bateman. That's it. You don't yeah. you don't need to think about anyone else. Oh, but I'll, I say, I'll say Marquise Marquise and the Cardinals though. If if Zach Ertz. Oh, I, I thought I thought you started yeah, yeah. at tight end with Mark yeah, Andrews. No, 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 I forgot there. No, no, no. no. Uh, I believe the report is Greg Dulcich. No, 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 not Greg Dulcich. Uh, Greg Dorch. That's yep. it, right? Yep. Uh, that's their starting slot receiver. Yep. Now that Rondell Moore is ruled out, we also know that AJ Green plays the same exact role as. DeAndre Hopkins as Antoine Wesley would have played and being stuck on the right side for 94% of his snaps. Uh, AJ Brown's an every down player. The issue is like at 3K, I would have considered sneaking him in. He's 4,800 on DraftKings. I don't know how they got there. I don't know how they put AJ Green at 4,800 when he didn't deserve to be 4,800 last year. And so, um, and so like I can't play AJ Green anywhere, honestly, maybe on FanDuel, but Goodness gracious. So, so yeah, it's either for me, Marquise Brown or bust. I'm not going dumpster diving with Trey McBride because I, I don't know if it is Trey McBride. Uh, they seem to like, oh, their other tight end. The name slips from mine now. Um, I'll look that up. But I, I don't know if it is Trey McBride starting just as an every down tight end if Zach Ertz is ruled out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just just random backup tight end. Um, Max Williams, have, that's it. Uh, okay, yeah. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I wouldn't go with with a random backup tight end. I don't go with McBride um, uh, on on like a last minute Ertz news. Um, you mentioned the guy I was going to talk about at tight end, Mark Andrews. He's just our top value on both sides at four from four. I, he's the top value by thirty um, percent in, in terms of our value score over. Travis Kelsey on both FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, big favorites against the Jets. Jets were very bad uh, against the pass, specifically against tight end last year. Um, without uh, Marquise Brown there anymore, Mark Andrews is in line for a huge target share. Obviously, Rashad Bateman is still is there, like you mentioned. But like we don't know if Rashad Bateman is going to absorb 25% of targets like Marquise Brown did. So Andrews could be a 29, 30% target share guy, at least to start the year. Uh, against the Jets. There's enough room to pay up. But as I mentioned at the top, uh, I, I think people will force it on FanDuel because that's what they're used to doing. On DraftKings, there's room to. It still handcuffs you a little bit. But Andrews is the top value, so I had to mention him. I don't mind Andrews. I don't think he's personally in my pool, but I don't mind it. And like I was saying before, at least if you're playing Baltimore, there's only two options. So either Bateman or, or Andrews, that's it. Isaiah Likely is great. Tight end three tight end premium format player, but we're not playing him on DraftKings. Uh, I don't I don't know if Baltimore's third option has any redraft value to begin with. So yeah, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. I also really like Elijah Moore as your skinny stack. He's kind of my favorite player. Oh, I wow. even like him as a standalone option. Since last year, he I was agree. not an every down player. And what we saw in the preseason was that he played every single snap with Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco. So I do like Elijah Moore if you play any amount of Ravens. Yeah, we both wrote up Elijah Moore pretty much on the same wavelength there. Um, the only reason Andrews is he's and like a, he's definitely a FanDuel cash gameplay if you could fit him. The on, not the only reason, but he's in my DraftKings player pool because I wrote up Lamar as the chalk. I'm, I'm playing more chalk Lamar than than chalk Jalen Hurts, so I'm naturally going to have some Mark Andrews again. Just I mean that the upside of, of of Lamar Jackson a little bit lower owned than Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I just want a piece of that offense this week probably more uh, if we talk about the most popular offenses this week um ravens eagles Bengals, and chiefs like i probably have the rate ravens are probably the only one that i attack hard i like the eagles more uh, okay. because 
even in playing Jalen Hurts, we talked about it earlier, you can still get unique in double stack that's true. So, that's true. Yeah. so that's why, I, and I, I trust their upside more because I didn't mention this earlier, but I don't think they're going to be a run heavy team in negative game scripts. I think with three picks in the first two rounds, as they showed us in the preseason when he threw six times on seven dropbacks, I think they actually want to let him loose and see what they have because they have to know whether they trade for a quarterback or actually get to allocate those picks elsewhere. Yeah. I, I, I like, so like, if that's the case, we're getting ahead of what everyone else considers. Oh, like injured, injured Detroit offensive line. Eagles are just going to kill the clock in the second half. I don't know if they do. Like, I think we get 35 attempts from Jalen Hurts, no matter what. I would, uh, I'm my, my best ball teams will love it. Um, if I fade (laughs) in DFS, that would be bad. Uh, you have my favorite tight end play of the week. Oh, okay. I thought you weren't, I thought you weren't, uh, paying down at tight end. Oh, no, no. On, on, uh, on FanDuel. DraftKings, I definitely am. Okay. Well, I still may pay down on FanDuel. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> but, but I like Mo Ali Cox for a lot of reasons. One, he's an every down player. We saw that with Matt Ryan. Adam Levitan had the tweet 13 snaps. Mo Ali Cox ran a route on 80% of Matt Ryan's 75 dropback or 25, 20 dropbacks. 80 route, 80% route rate on 20 dropbacks. As we know from Dwayne McFarland's work. Uh, 80% is the elite tight end threshold. That's what we're looking for. We expect him to be an every down player because there's also no competition there. Not fourth round Kylan Granson had 11 catches last year and certainly not Jelani Woods, who was not even good in the preseason as the team's third and fourth tight end. Uh, but Moelle Cox also has, as an every down player, now taking over those 20 routes per game that Jack Doyle vacated when he retired. Moelle Cox has two touchdown upside. And that's what we're going for. And at these cheap prices, now was our chance against a Texans defense that didn't have really any changeover and still finished with the seventh most fantasy points per game to allow the opposing tight ends. Like now's our chance to pounce. And more importantly, it's exposure towards the Colts high team total. And it's a touchdown leverage response to both Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. So like the game theory perspective, not just not just microanalysis, the game theory perspective also makes a lot of sense for Mo Valley Cox. So he's definitely my favorite cheap tight end this week. Yeah, that's why I'm okay paying down on DraftKings because if because Pittman is going to be so popular, JT is going to be so popular, you're going to get Molly Cox at like hopefully 3%. Hopefully guys like us don't get him more popular. But I mean, even if you do play Pittman, you could play, if you play Matt Ryan, Michael Pittman and Molly Cox, you've really made your lineup unique there Gosh, too. you're going to talk me into uh, Matt Ryan. I, I have to know, think about I'm really, this now. I'm gonna, we're playing Matt Ryan. I'm playing I, Matt Ryan. He wasn't know. even in my pool, but it makes it does make a lot of sense. I'm playing. I'm playing him in a qualifier. It's happening. Uh, okay, what what, def- <laughs> what defense do you like? I like a lot of defenses this week, actually. And I write them all up in my article on the site. But for this show, well, you should actually just go ahead and correlate probably uh, whoever you think gets the best correlation. Like if you're playing Chase Sanders or Tyreek Hill, I believe Tyreek Hill is also returning kicks. So he makes Ooh. sense with the Dolphins. Um, also, if you're playing like, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. I think the Panthers are really good since that would set up a great game script for CMC, even though he's going to get there no matter what. But if you're playing Joe Mixon, I love the Bengals defense. We saw Mitchell Trubisky in the preseason take the fewest dropbacks of all the Steelers quarterbacks and yet get pressured the most uh, because he holds on to the ball long. So that certainly helps us. But also like behind a, a bottom three offensive line, Justin Edwards had him ranked in the bottom third of the league in particular. I don't know what this offense is going to be genuinely. And so, like, I'm trying to get a hold of sacks. I think they have a sack-based floor, as well as we know Mitch Trubisky is very turnover-prone. So I like them quite a bit as a correlation with Joe Mixon. 
Yeah, and and that I, I kind of agree with you too. Like I'm I'm correlating as much as possible. Running back defense is one of the best secondary correlations, especially on FanDuel in large field GPPs and in, in any GPP for that matter. You need to be stacking beyond um, your quarterback. But the one that that I picked was the Dolphins. And now that you're saying that you think they could get out big, like that encourages me more because if they can play with a big lead, um, that's obviously very good for for a defense. They're the they're one of two teams that are favored that are priced under 4k on Fanduel and under 3k on DraftKings. the difference being washington is um, on the road while dolphins are at home washington's probably going to be the most uh, popular defense on the slate at least on DraftKings. I, I i would like to target a offense with my defense that throws a little bit more but i don't think new england will be as run heavy as they were last year. And again, like you said, if, if Dolphins can uh, get a nice little lead, then all of a sudden New England's forced to pass. So Dolphins really, really stand out to me as a nice defense this week. I agree. I already mentioned the Tyreek Hill notes. Um, and yeah, the only concern would be Byron Jones opens the season on missing the first four games mm-hmm. and uh, Xavier Howard has been banged up. But at the same time, like remember, this was a team that led the league in pressure rate and they didn't just not lose anyone. Like they also added Meg, Melvin Ingram to the mix. So like they got better, yeah, honestly. Yeah. And I don't know how a Matt Patricia led offense responds to a, a gruesome pressure rate. So uh, I like them quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I'm into that. Uh, all right. Well, that does it for the week one show. Like I said, we will be back Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern time. Uh, GPP subscriber only show. So make sure you sign up for four for four uh, in the link in the description. Uh, make sure you get that uh, access to the discord. Once you do sign up for the DFS or the betting sub and we'll be going uh, in the morning and, and turn that into a, a back and forth with our subscribers. Even after the show, uh, all of our DFS writers are in the discord leading up to kickoff. So every single adjustment up to kickoff, we'll be talking to you guys about talking about these plays, whether it be cash game, GPP, every type of game you play. Um, so appreciate you guys really, really excited for week one. If you enjoy this, please do us a favor. If you're on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on podcast, please give it a five-star rating on review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want more action from us, you can follow us on Twitter. Daigle is at not J Daigle. I'm at TJ Hernandez. Four for four is always at four for four football. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday.